Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Statement by Paul, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Now, you remember where Paul was when he wrote that statement. He was in prison. Oh, not some minimal security arrangement like we hear and read about across this land today. No, no, he was in prison. And he said, rejoice in the Lord. And not only that, he said, always rejoice. Wait a minute, Paul, how could that be? Just drop down to verse 6. In nothing be anxious, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the result, next verse, verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you this evening about the joy of Christian living, or call it, if you will, the security of the faithful child of God. You recall beautiful Eden. God, of course, made Adam and Eve husband and wife and placed them in that beautiful setting. Now, you're aware of the transgression of that one prohibition placed upon humanity in that beautiful garden? Satan taking on the form of a serpent, the serpent more subtle than the beast of the field, and he said unto the woman, God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that fruit was good for food, lust of the flesh. Mm, good to look at, lust of the eye. Desire to make one wise, pride of life. All three avenues she ate, gave to her husband, and he did eat with her. But then they were driven from that paradise, if you will. In a sense, paradise was lost in Adam and Eve's transgression. Someone says, we don't have a Garden of Eden today. That's right. We have something infinitely better than the Garden of Eden. And we need to understand the true picture to know exactly man's condition. Wherefore, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. For death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Romans 5 at verse 12. Someone comes along and reads that and suggests, yes, we're all sinners, we've all transgressed God's law. Friend, that's not what that verse is saying. That's not what that's teaching. Oh, that statement is true, all right. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Make no mistake about it. But Romans 5, 12 is saying that mankind, in its progenitor to Adam, is in a fallen condition. You see, sin alienates from God from that sad moment to the end of time. Man without reconciliation is alienated from God. Reaching the age of accountability, he or she needs salvation. So the human family is in a fallen condition, right? I recall in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, there's not a righteous man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And you recall Paul's statement, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. Sure, physical death is in consequence of the transgression of mankind. That's true. However, spiritual death is in the offing for those unclean in sin. Separation of the immortal soul of man from the eternal father of spirits, death. Just a separation of body and spirit is death, James 2, verse 26. So the human family is in a fallen condition, separated alienated, spiritually, eternally undone. So somebody says, that doesn't really sound like the basis of, of joy to me. We need to understand where we are, what the circumstances really are. Now I want you to listen to the best news ever to fall upon the human heart. But I don't want you simply to listen. I want you to believe what the scripture has to say. 
we see him who hath been made a little lower than the angels, that through the suffering of death, crowned with honor and glory, he by the grace of God should taste of death for every man. That's Hebrews 2.9. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Oh, then there's that beautiful passage you're familiar with in Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a, a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with griefs. Yet we hid as far faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every man hath turned his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friend, you'll not find more beautiful, more meaningful language than Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. Peter said, who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Do you hear what these passages are saying? He died for me? Right. He was made to be sin on my behalf? That's correct. He bore the stripes... Do me, he died the death justly mine because I have sinned and he is innocent. So it's by his stripes that I am healed. For a sinner such as I, that's the greatest news ever heard. You recall Paul's correction to the brethren over in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and dealing with the incestuous adulterer, you remember, among other things, he said in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may become a new lump even as you are unliving. For our Passover hath been sacrificed, even Jesus. Uh, wait a minute, Paul, what'd you say? For our Passover hath been sacrificed, and then he named him, even Jesus. Uh, what do you mean, Paul? Our Passover hath been sacrificed. Oh, you have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 to fully understand about the Passover. You recall the Israelites in Egyptian bondage? Moses about to free them from Pharaoh. Nine times God struck at those idol gods of Egypt and Pharaoh's heart was hardened that much more adamantly and he was not going to let those people go. And God said to Moses, yet one plague more. That'll make ten of them. One plague more will I send upon Egypt and Pharaoh will thrust you out with a mighty arm. And I said, Moses, on a given night I'm coming through the land. Here's what I want you to do. You have the head of each household on the tenth day of this first month. Take a lamb. A male, eight days to a year old, without blemish, and put him up. On the 14th day of this first month, slay that lamb. And I said, if it's too much to be consumed by that family, call the next door neighbor. That which abides the daylight shall be burned without the camp. Not a bone of its body shall be broken. But he said, when you slay that lamb on the 14th day of this first month, take a bunch of hyssop, vegetation, dip it in the blood, and sprinkle it on the lentils and on the doorposts of the houses where you are. And he told them, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 12 of Exodus, stay in the house. And I said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I'll not permit the destroyer, the avenger, to enter in the houses where you are. And did you know that on that night, not an Israelite perished? Not one. Why? 
Because they were in the houses where the blood was on the lentils and on the doorposts. Are you conscious of the fact that God is still saying to his people today, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. First John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, write out these things unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is a propitiation for our sins. Oh, not for ours only, but for the whole world. That is, he died for every man. We learn that in Hebrews 2, 9. Oh, but he's our comforter. He's our advocate. He pleads our cause before the throne of the Almighty. Wait a minute. So when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? That's correct. Now, you do recall that without the shedding of blood is no remission, Hebrews 9, 22, and that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, Hebrews 10, verse 4. The word impossible is employed in that verse. So we're talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, right? Now, you do recall that statement, 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. Now, friends, that's not a one-shot proposition. That's a continuing process. What's that? We keep on walking in the light as he is in the light. We keep on having fellowship with others that do the same thing, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, you either believe that or you do not. Well, somebody says, I understand that part of it. I mean, that's just, I'm not through. I want to make sure we nail this down so that each of us, even the children, can understand it. Go with me to that beautiful, meaningful eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Do you remember how Paul starts out in verse 1 of Romans 8? He says, there's therefore after judgment no condemnation. Whoa, 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 that's not how he starts. Listen to it. There's therefore now, present tense and application, there's therefore right now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Why? Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's the New Testament, by the way, hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. Wait a minute, Paul, what's the law of sin and death? Oh, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, Paul is saying, I don't have to worry about that. Wait a minute, why not, Paul? Oh, because in Christ Jesus is no condemnation. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, now he's talking about the legal system, by the way, known as the law of Moses, given by God through Moses exclusively to the Jewish nation, by the way, Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, Wait, wait, wait a minute, Paul. I've got to stop again. What are you talking about? What do you mean the law was weak through the flesh? Friend, the law was never given to justify or, or forgive. You see, law was given to condemn the infraction of its teaching, to take note and exact punishment of its violation. Couldn't be justified. No, no. Galatians, uh, Galatians 2.16, for by the works of law shall no flesh be justified. Oh, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, for through the law cometh the knowledge of sin. Romans 3, verse 20. That's why in anticipation of that question, Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 19, What then is the law? Or wherefore then serveth the law? Then he answered that in verse 19, Galatians 3. He said, It was given, given because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Wait a minute. Who or what was the seed? Christ. What was purpose of the law? Make sin sinful. 
That's what law did. Couldn't be justified. Somebody comes along and says, wait a minute. The only way to be justified by the law. Hold on, friend. You can't finish that sentence. Justified by the law? Friend, sinners can't be justified by the law. No, no. You need to word that statement this way. The only way to keep from being condemned by the law is don't violate it. That's right. That's what he's saying. Let's look at it. Back to verse 3, Romans 8. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Wait a minute. What did Christ do when he came? Someone says he condemned the flesh because of sin. No, 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 no. That's what the law did. When Christ came, he condemned sin in the flesh. Vast difference. Vast difference. Sinner? Yes, sir. Every accountable person in this room. Any sinlessly perfect people? No, accountable sinlessly perfect people in this room. No, sir. Well, somebody says, I don't have a prayer. I mean, there's just no. Listen to Paul. For what the law could not do in that it was weak to the flesh or in that I could keep it perfectly, Christ accomplished. What's that? The law condemned the flesh because of sin. Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Isn't that marvelous? No wonder he ended that chapter that way, as was given in our reading a moment ago. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Just drop down three verses to verse 31. What should we say of these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know what the answer to that is, friends? It doesn't make a bit of difference. What's that? If God be for us, who is against us? And then he continues, if God spared not his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall not he through him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything in the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Christ Jesus that died, he rather raised and sitteth at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay. In all these things were more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, through the end of the chapter, verse 39, Romans 8. Isn't that wonderful? Marvelous indeed. And notice Paul said we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Well, Paul, how could we be more than conquerors? He said, there's nothing above you. There's nothing around you. There's nothing beneath you that can sever you from the love of Christ. You're the only person that can do it. Friends, we should rejoice. As members of the body of Christ, we should be the happiest people on this good green earth created by the hands of him who loved us enough to let his son die in our stead, bearing our sins to redeem our souls that we might live with him someday in that beautiful heavenly home above. But let's go again. In John chapter 10, verses 27 to 28, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no man shall snatch them out of my hand. Somebody comes along and says, Wait just a minute. I thought that had a familiar ring to it. That verse sounds like it's teaching the impossibility of apostasy. That sounds like once saved, always saved. Now let me say this one time. The 
ungodly heresy of the impossibility of apostasy is powerfully false. Nowhere ever remotely suggested in all the divine revelation. Paul said, I buffet my body and bring it under subjection, lest after having preached the gospel to others, I myself should be a castaway. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Paul, an apostle, chosen by the Lord, you mean to tell me you could be lost? Right. How? Like anybody else. Just turn away from the Lord. Just decide I'm not going to be righteous, going to be sinful. Very simple. Oh, we say, wherefore, if any man thinketh he stand, to take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. <clears throat> Writer of Hebrews says, for it's impossible for those who once enlightened, having tasted the heaven gift, having been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, seeing that they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, right. What'd you say? Those who are once enlightened, taste of the heavenly gift, may partake of the Holy Ghost, taste of the good work. <clears throat> Mature Christians? Yes. <clears throat> and what about it? And then fell away. Someone says, now, you know that can't happen. Friend, then this writing would have been the height of folly. Bear in mind, whoever the writer of Hebrews is revealing the will of God through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, for if after they have escaped the pollutions in the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than in the, than in the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb. The dog turned into his own vomit. The sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2, 20-22. Does that sound like once saved, always saved? Oh, the writer of Hebrews says, take heed. Lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. But exhort one another day by day so long as it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 12 and 13, Hebrews 3, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you're fallen away from grace. Galatians 5 at verse 4. And on and on we could go. Oh, yes. A child of God can so sin as to finally be lost. Make no mistake about it. But listen to Jesus. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no man shall snatch them out of my hand. Well, somebody says, of whom does he make this statement? Well, he said, my sheep here, John Knox, John Calvin, John Wesley, Joseph Smith, the Pope, Mohammed. No, my sheep hear my voice. Oh, and I know them, and they follow the manual, the discipline, the catechism, the Book of Mormon, the Koran, the Confession of Faith, the IDs and opinions, the Senate Council, Conference, Association, Convention. No, 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 they said to follow me. What's that? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What about it? I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no man shall snatch them out of my hand. Friend, this is the security of the saints we're talking about. This is the salvation that Almighty God made available to sinners. And there are no ifs, ands, or maybes. No, sir. No, sir. You know, if we had more time to talk about it, we could deal with passages such as 1 John 3 at verse 9. He that is born of God, that's King James, let's use American standard. He that is begotten of God doeth no sin because his seed abideth in him and he cannot sin because he's begotten of God. Somebody says that means once you're a child of God, you can't sin. It means no such thing. It means no such thing. It means the person who is a child of God, 
whose life is governed by the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11, does not walk deliberately in a life of sin. He or she has given their life to the Lord, brought this word within their heart, makes it the lamp of their life, the guide to their thought, speech, and conduct. Make mistakes? Yes, sir. Stumble and fall? Absolutely. Sin? You better believe it. That's what the blood of Christ covers. Someone says you've got to be sinlessly perfect, then forget it. Forget it. Salvation is for sinners. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? Now listen to it. Cleanseth us from all sin. Cleanses us from what? All sin. Now he goes on to say, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And truth isn't in it. If you skip down to verse 10, same chapter, 1 John 1. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word isn't in us. But back up to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that marvelous? Friends, we live humble lives in the divine presence with penitent hearts and awareness of walking with the Lord. Make mistakes? Yes, sir. Stumble and fall? No question about it. That's what the blood of Christ covers. Friends, Christianity is objective. Never subjective. It's objective. It's up here. Christ is up here, our perfect example. His last will and testament is absolutely perfect. Without error, without contradiction, it is perfection. Here I am down here, very limited, very weak, very ignorant, but I'm struggling and striving toward perfection, becoming more and more like Christ each day. That's Christianity. That's what it's all about. But let's notice a couple more things. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we find the writer of Hebrews talking about those who, through, for, for fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Oh, wait a minute. What did he do? Oh, he left the beauty and grandeur of heaven, came to the sinful world <clears throat> to walk the dusty streets, share the load with the common man, ultimately to die in your stead and mine. Why would he do that? So he may bring to naught the one that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now that settles it right there. Someone says, to what end though? That he may deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Friends, to the person without Christ, death is the most horrible condition or event of life. Horrible the thought to stand before God in judgment unprepared for eternity. Oh, but to the faithful Christian? Oh, it's just an open doorway to an infinitely better relationship. See, it's simply a transition. Listen to what the Lord said. 25 and 26, John chapter 11. You remember Martha's running out to meet the Lord on the perimeter of Bethany. Her brother Lazarus had been dead four days. Now, when the Lord had heard of it, he stayed where he was two days. And when he arrived there on the village of Bethany, Lazarus had been dead four days. And Martha says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, Lord, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection last day. Now I want you to listen to what the Lord's about to say. And keep in mind, he never said anything accidentally. Jesus said unto her, I am not have been in the past or will be sometime in the future. I am 
the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? Talking to Martha. Lord, are you saying here if I had enough faith, I'd never have to die physically? He didn't say that. He didn't even allude to such a thing. Everything dies physically. Everything passes physically, flora and fauna. Sure, it's in consequence of the transgression of mankind. That's true. Oh, but the eternal consequence of sin is separation from Almighty God. Oh, oh, Jesus said, I've already conquered the one that had the power of death. That is the devil. And I would deliver those who would walk in the illuminated pathway that I leave you from the fear of death. Oh, no. Just the transition, just that falling of the curtain. And there's that bright eternal morning for the child of God. Make no mistake about it. Well, someone says, now, wait a minute. You were talking about the security of the Christian. Let's just look at one more passage and the lesson will be yours. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. Romans 4, verse 8 from Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. What did that say? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin, will not impute guilt. Somebody says, you mean to tell me there's someone like that in the earth to whom the Lord won't even reckon the guilt of sin? Friend, if there isn't, there won't be anybody in heaven at all. Because no sin will enter that celestial city. None. None. Well, yes, but with all my weaknesses, my, my shortcomings, my limitations, what chance do I... None at all. It is not a matter of chance, but rather a matter of faith. Made available by the grace of God, friend, you either believe it or you don't. If you believe and obey, you're saved. If you don't, friend, you're lost. And you're on a road to an eternal hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And you are immortal. Oh, friend, I must believe it. Not only that, I must obey the simple conditions as stated in this book, in the New Testament, as to how to become a child of his. Walk in harmony with his instruction, and then I can rejoice every day of my life. Ah, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, that we that are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 16 through 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can't lose. As a child of God, there should be no undue anxiety. Take your cares to the Lord. And what was it you said, Paul, as we said on the outset of the lesson? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Friend, that's security. We should leave here the happiest people on earth, eager to share this message with all those around us who are yet out of Christ and living in the darkness of sin. If you're subject to the invitation this evening, we invite you to come. If you're outside of Christ, as we mentioned, as we do each time after a sermon, we extend the invitation. If you're outside of Christ, you'll not find a more opportune time than right now to put him on in baptism. If you believe that he's a son of God, you're willing to repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5, to confess his name, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. To be buried with him in that watery grave of baptism, Mark 16, 16, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 and 4. A new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therein continually covered by his precious blood as you walk in the light, 1 John 1 at verse 7. If you're here tonight 
You, and as a member of his body, you desire the prayers of the church. Let us pray with you and for you. If we can assist you in any way, let it be known. As together we stand and sing.